वेलकम टू सिंह टॉक Talkers around the table today discuss the name of a name. We think about the act and the necessity of naming, and wonder what can be named and not named, and why was something named in the first place. What is a name for a computer system or a computer program? Is it a rigid designator or a shorthand descriptor of sorts? the concepts are likely to be from philosophy computational linguistics natural language processing grammar and linguistics in general we are very pleased to have today three sin talkers around the table professor pushpak bhattacharya who is from iit bombay Uh, and he's a professor of computer science and engineering and he's been working in the area of natural language processing and machine learning for the last 25 years dr girish najha who's from the special center of sanskrit studies in jnu in delhi and teaches computational linguistics and has been doing a lot of research and projects in the area for the last several years and dr avinash pande who is from department of linguistics in mumbai university his research areas include philosophy of language and long language conflict among others so girish maybe we set the ball rolling with you to understand what a name is according to you and uh, you know for example when a computer program is at work what is a name for a computer program what is a name to us as human beings and you know obviously um, the tantalizing topic of what can be named and not named let's kick that off uh, set the ball rolling and we'll take it up from there well thank you a uh, name essentially is a reference you know when we refer to someone something uh, we use some kind of naming we have to use some kind of naming otherwise the uniqueness of objects and people cannot be determined Mm-hmm. uh in case of humans or in case of uh programs things uh behave similarly you know now uh, in computers uh, the naming happens at various levels you know? okay we have names for machines we have names for servers we have uh, names for networks names for protocols yeah names of uh, programs names for classes names for objects yeah variables yeah data types and and anything else So what do you mean tables. when you when you say that a variable is named So uh, uh to do a program we have to have uh, some abstract objects entities Yeah and uh, we make them operate with each other Yeah So we have to have these ob- objects and entities created first Yeah and then we call it an instance instance yeah and then uh, we assign uh, some value uh, mm-hmm. to that entity Mhm mm-hmm. and then all similar entities mm-hmm. are created and then uh, there are programs which make them operate with one another so the act of naming is a part of that creation would you say that or um exactly so when we uh, name uh, a variable in computer programs we mm-hmm. essentially create right we create an instance of it right and uh, this could be extended uh, to outer world that mm-hmm. uh, maybe a name brings you to existence we can say yeah. on a metaphorical <laughs> level Mm, without mm, names you don't exist mm, you know mm, mm. so uh about the computer programs uh the naming is probably more structured i guess right right so the compilers wouldn't require you uh, to have names as per certain structure mm-hmm. but the aesthetics of program mm-hmm. require you to have uh, certain uh, kinds of uh, conventions in names mm-hmm. and uh, that you have but the naming of humans mm-hmm. is little more uh, deeper more philosophical more culture specific right right follows uh, many many principles you know? right in india you know uh, in the indian tradition naming was probably more uh, meaningful than probably in any other country oh that's interesting and mm-hmm. uh, what do you mean when you say that 
So, uh, for example, a child is born. So there's a naming ceremony. It's right. a sanskara. You know, one right. Very important it's a sanskara. sanskara. It's a naming sanskara. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's not an arbitrary thing. So the child is born, and the naming expert, for example, a person who knows mm-hmm. how to name things. I mean, pandit, for example, you know. Sure. Sure. Or anybody who is qualified enough to assign a name to the child would come. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Many perspectives, you know. They will either look at the horoscope or the the time of the birth, etc., mm-hmm. or look at the child's face, mm-hmm. and then look for some appropriate assignment uh, mm-hmm. from a dictionary like Amarkosha. Amarkosha. I remember uh, my father when he named his uh, grandson. Uh, he looked at the face of the child and looked up some slogan Amarkosha and had an appropriate name. He said this name probably defines uh, describes this child the best. Oh, excellent! What so, was the name? Let's immortalize that. <laughs> so, uh, my my sister's son uh, mm. was called Amod because he was very smiley <laughs> and he was very pleasant. You know. Right, right. That's so interesting. That's Amod very is a interesting. Amod name which uh, has this these these connotations, but you don't have the same thing when we name programs or networks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. These are done probably more from a functional perspective. You know. Uh, and uniqueness. how arbitrary is that naming? Is that completely arbitrary naming for a computer program? Beings, computer programs. It is arbitrary to a certain extent that the compiler does not require you. For example, I create an integer. You know, uh, yes. Uh, I can call it integer X or I. Yeah. I call it a salary. Yeah. Know, if it is a salary, uh, yeah. holding a salary amount. Yeah. Or anything. But then uh, various programming languages like you know C plus plus would have a certain convention. Right. Guideline. Right. And Java would have a mix of uppercase, lowercase. Right. So my salary, my lowercase salary, s uppercase. Right. Some right. languages require you to have under, you know, underscores. Right. Right. Or, or hyphens between them. That's very interesting. Maybe we'll unravel that later in the episode. Uh, Avinash, what would you say to that? You know, we touched upon the samskar of naming, and I don't know what Kripke would say to something like that. The entire exercise of baptism and naming, and what, how arbitrary do you think is naming? Let's say in the world of human beings, uh, for example, and what is a name to you and the way you see it from a philosophy of language standpoint? See, n- names uh, being arbitrary, one can, uh, you know, talk about names being arbitrary in a very special sense. Okay. Uh, in the sense that uh, if I look at you, I cannot guess your name. Right, right. I, you would have to tell me your name right. for me to know your name. Right, By right. By looking at you, uh, your, your physical appearance or your mental attributes in no way suggests your name to me. But what about that same process at the instance of someone being baptized, someone being named for the first yes, time? Yes, so someone being baptized, it, it, it involves a cultural uh, ritual, cultural uh, process going on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, even before the, uh, for example, uh, I have been to several such ceremonies and, you know, people have naming rights. So, for example, Correct. in Ma- Marathi culture... Is the aunt who names. Nobody else has the right to name. <laughs> and she whispers the name into the ear of the child. Right. And you don't give one name to the child. You give five names. Five For names? Both. Yes. <laughs> and uh, and th- they are supposed to be sec- uh, secrets. Okay. And the child so you, doesn't you get have to this kind, of this kind of connection between <laughs> names and, uh, you know, uh, the, the child. So right. you don't, uh, for example, give any kind of name. To right. You right. have specific preferences. Right. How does one think of that conceptually? Is it is it just conventions, as Girish was pointing out, or um, there's something deeper at work over there? See, for that we have to understand what the role which name plays yeah. in our lives. For example, uh, uh, the way I look at names is that uh, if you look at the various domains of our lives, be it social domain, cultural domain, or mm-hmm. even you know natural domain, mm-hmm. in which we you know, live, inhabit. Yes. Those domains, if uh, they are basically in a state of flux, they are undifferentiated. Right. What names do is provide us landmarks. Right. They provide us reference points. Right. Which help us to move around these domains. Right. Now, these landmarks would, you would want these landmarks to be something which suggests a particular kind of attribute to you. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. in that sense, naming is not an arbitrary process mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. your requirement from that landmark would be of a specific kind. Mm-hmm. But it is ar- arbitrary in the sense that it is unmotivated. Unmotivated in the sense the object does not suggest the name. In that sense, it is arbitrary. Correct. So Correct. the moment the child is born, its name is not decided. Correct. <laughs> I mean, otherwise there would be no choice involved. 
You just look Correct. at the object and say, okay, this is the name Correct. of the object. And Avinash, how do we draw this distinction between a common noun and a proper noun? Obviously, there is you you name something in the first place. Uh, so yeah, you decide so, to call uh, something a river in the first place, and then a river gets named a Thames or a Ganges or a Ganga or whatever. Um, yes. So uh, proper proper nouns, I think, are uh, and we have uh, we have to distinguish between proper names and proper nouns. Yes. Okay. That's a major distinction I would like to make because okay. there is no direct one-to-one connection between proper nouns and. Proper That's very nouns. interesting. That's but very proper interesting. nouns and common nouns. Mm-hmm. So proper nouns are uh, are more individu- individuated, while common nouns refer to a group of objects. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, and what would pronouns so, be uh, in this yeah. world? Yeah. So, uh, for example, a river would be a common noun. Yes. But if you want to individuate that river, mm-hmm. you would use uh, a name, a name, a proper Sh- name. Sure. Which sure. which which may or may not involve a proper noun. Yeah. So not all names involve proper nouns. Oh. Uh, proper names, not all proper names. Yesterday I had been to a restaurant in Mumbai, which which was named Eat Around the Corner. <laughs> That's a proper name. Yeah, but it has no proper noun. Yes. <laughs> okay, so that's that, very interesting. That's so very that's interesting. one aspect we have to. That's very interesting, Pushpak. How would you think of that? What What is a pronoun and a noun to you? And um, uh, what can be named and not named? I think that's the most fascinating question going around here, really. Yeah. So if uh, Girish should remember that uh, we had this workshop in IIT Bombay. Uh-huh. And uh, we could har- we could hardly come to a conclusion about what is a proper name and what is a <laughs> <laughs> common, what is a common noun and what is a proper noun really. Th- th- okay. th- there seems to be uh, great uh, difficulty in really precisely defining them. Okay. But uh, maybe I would like to go back to a number of things. Sure, please. Started with Grish. Please. So when we create a program, for example, we actually create a virtual world. Yes. Okay. And in that virtual world, there are uh, characters and players. Girish mentioned operators. Yeah. So the operators are means of interaction between these uh, entities and characters which who are in this virtual world. Yeah. Now, in that virtual world, uh, the first entities which are born are the variables which are declared. So an integer variable, a real variable, salary, right. for example, is an identifier. Right. Okay. Right. So those. So it is seen that uh, first-time programmers have great difficulty in uh, putting, p- you know, appropriate names for the variables that they use. Okay. Okay. And why so would that be? I mean, wh- what so is the conceptual so difficulty with that, or what's the learning difficulty with that? Yeah, yeah. The conceptual difficulty is this: that uh, you know, the name of a var- first of all, maybe the concept of variable needs to be uh, no. There is no explanation here. You said okay. We should no, not no, explain sure, sure, Please go ahead. So, <laughs> uh, so there are uh, these labels which are uh, which are called variables, and uh-huh. they can take arbitrary values. For example, salary was mentioned by Girish. It can take an arbitrary so value. Sh- of course, salary can take different values at different points of time for different yeah. entities. Yeah. So, f- so novice programmers find it very difficult to uh, create names because Names would denote functionality. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. so names and functionality have very intimate relationship with each other, and therefore the purpose of a program, uh, the specification of a program has a lot of uh, has a lot to deal, lot to do with the names of variables which are used in the program. Okay. okay? And we must remember that uh, the compilers don't care for names, that is true. Uh-huh. But uh, there are many additional things which come with a piece of software, namely maintainability, right? Okay, understandability, right. Okay, reliability. Right. So those things are indeed functions of names of variables. So names of variables are very, very important uh-huh. inside a program. Uh-huh. Now uh, there was also a reference to naming ceremony and so on. So yeah. uh, you know, so when my son was born, uh, yeah. that was in Pune. <laughs> so there was complete load shedding. But when my wife entered the hospital for the for the delivery, uh, light the electricity came. came back. <laughs> light came back, and therefore we called him Ronak. Ronak. Right. Ronak. Right. Okay. So names do uh, t- names are created depending on the situation, yeah. horoscope and so on and so forth. Yeah. And names do form the characteristic of a person. I have seen that happen. Okay. One of my relatives is called Raja. 
Yeah. And he had he decided very early in his life that he has to make money. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so names d define a person's character very subtly, I would say, maybe sometimes indirectly. Mm -hmm. Now, mm -hmm. coming to this point of proper noun and common noun, the difficulty is really very, very, very enormous. Mm -hmm. But we have, uh, you know, we are many of us are engineers, and we have taken a kind of convenient position with respect to that. We would like to say that proper nouns are instances of a set. Okay. And common nouns are subsets of a set. Right. Conveniently. Right. But this is also a very, very What's the difficulty with that? The difficulty with that is that uh, there are usages of the following ki kind. Like, will there be any more tegors in this world? Yeah. Okay. So yeah. now you're pluralizing a proper noun. That's right. Okay. That's right. That's an unusual usage, but you do say that. Where do you find Shakespeare's these days? Right. And so on. Okay. Then uh, there are uh, many washing... You know, there are at least uh, two Delhi's I know, two London's I know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So this uniqueness or instance of that condition doesn't get satisfied all the time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. as uh, we did in IIT Bombay workshop, uh, when you say water is a common noun, yeah. why is it not a proper, no proper noun also? Because it is the name of an object. Yes. Okay. There yes. is an unique. There is an unique entity called water. And uh, therefore, yes. why not uh, call it a proper noun? Yeah. Okay. So yeah. there are these conceptual difficulties, I would say. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And it, yeah. so at a very broad level, it's just an act of labeling. Mm. Is act it of it? labeling, yes. It's an act of yeah, labeling. Yeah, a, a but uh, I would just like to come in regarding sure. these variables. Yes. Yeah. Because the, uh, when we t uh, think about names, uh, the major trend in 20th century philosophy has been to think of names as functions. Okay. So when we take uh, names as functions, then uh, the arguments are the variables. Right. 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 So what is the variable? Mm -hmm. Or uh, so do we take arguments as variables or the entities as variables or we take the names as variables? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What mm -hmm. counts as variable? There is, a, there, there is a difference of opinion over there. Right. Okay, right. So that is one thing we have to take in account. So, uh, so there is an entity X mm -hmm. and X is named Avinash. And right. Is Avinash. right, right. Okay. Or uh, there is a person, say, of name X. Right, right. So there the name becomes a variable. Right. And we often use names as variables. So for example, I say I met two people. Correct. Say, mm. you know, say Correct. Uh, Correct. Uh, Ram and Sham. Correct. And mm. then so something happened and happened. Mm -hmm. And then I. Then which one is Ram and which one is Sham? That it doesn't it's really matter. It's somewhat less relevant in that moment. Yes. 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 So there you are using names as variables. Correct. Correct. But most of the, but uh, in computer programs or when you look at uh, names as functions which connect uh, you know uh, worlds to individuals. Correct. Then the entity is the variable. Right. So right. we have to be careful when we link uh, variables with names. Right, right, right. And when you say that, you know, it's 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 one of the rich areas in twentieth century philosophies. What are the what are some of the views there, and how different are they from each other? So, uh, for example, right from Frege, uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, there is this tendency to treat uh, names as uh, uh, a function, a function which will connect uh, uh, possible worlds to a particular object. Right. Okay. Right. So, and now the. In, in this process, there are three major uh, factors involved. One is the name. Yeah. Another is the referent. Yeah. So we said names refer to objects. Yeah. But the third is the cognitive significance. The sense. Yes. So I w if I say sense, then it becomes very Frigian. So I just... Correct. Cognitive correct. Si <laughs> significance. Sure. So everybody talks about cognitive significance. Correct. correct. Now, where does that cognitive significance lie? Yeah. So what I was trying to suggest was that, yeah. that cognitive significance makes us choose certain names over the other. And right. then you you have certain uh, you know you uh, you have certain uh, individual biographies regarding names. Correct. Or, uh, Correct. That's why I was saying that they are like landmarks. Correct. And Correct. my landmarks may not be exactly be the same as your landmarks. Correct. So for example, uh, Correct. Uh, Professor Pushpak talked about Ronak. Yeah. So yeah. that that is a particular experience. Yeah. A landmark. The cognitive significance. Uh, you know that's that, that's Ronak's cognitive significance, other than 
the relationship between the name and the referent right right so what right. frege was so the difference lies in that some people suggest that cognitive significance leads you to the referent and what would be the opposite view point of something like that i mean a more kripkean kind of view to kripkean just... uh, what kripke says is that the cognitive significance is external correct correct so, it uh, comes after the so act of naming is the baptism there is baptism and yep. then there is a casual link a causal link from yeah a causal so not correct. not casual sorry causal link yeah. between yeah. Uh, reference yeah and to get the significance of the name one has to have a trans historical perspective mm. of each individual usages mm. so one has to go outside each individual instance yeah. to understand the nature of naming yeah and yeah. now this trans historical perspective is something very interesting in language acquisition okay okay right for right. example when we when uh, when we learn language mm -hmm. okay uh, you will see there is a, and that's where i come to the pronouns the question we had asked correct. but i was correct uh, correct so uh, demonstratives so uh, if you take language in face to face communication mm -hmm. what came first nouns or pronouns Yeah, so I'll I'll come to that. So if you yeah. take language from face-to-face -face communication, you'll mm -hmm. have a lot of use of terms like this, that, Correct. he, she, this person, that. So there's a lot of pointing. Correct. Now, if you have to have this perspective from outside, yeah, you have to go to names, and that is the necessity of names. Wow, that's interesting. So it is a link between two. Uh, it is a link between two face-to-face -face uh, interactions. Yes, and yes. that's why. you know uh, this demonstratives or pronouns mm -hmm. which are more appropriate in uh, more than pronouns demonstratives this that correct. he uh, you know you point basically yeah, yeah, pointing acts of pointing character correct yeah. correct so correct. you abstract away from these acts of pointing to give a trans historical perspective yeah yeah a perspective beyond each individual converse conversation yeah so yeah yeah so the same Uh, the same kind of uh, you know content may be conveyed in two possible fashions so the, clearly the this and that came before the names yes. of this and that right 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 and uh, therefore names are abstractions mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. uh, they are abstractions and therefore they are descriptions because yeah. when we describe <laughs> a thing yeah when we describe a thing yeah we yeah. cannot describe everything about the thing we describe only certain aspects of it <laughs> we abstract away from it And so, what get described and but what? But there's a cluster of descriptions around in correct. the name. Correct. So there's a so cluster. So there is a there is a there is a difference between that. Yeah. So uh, you know, uh, you would talk about one description, or you talk about soul would talk about a cluster of descriptions. Correct. 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 Okay. Correct. So, but can names be equated to cluster of descriptions? They cannot be. So Kripke says that that's a problem because correct. their uh, model profile is different. Correct. <laughs> okay. The the descriptions may be wrong. But correct. your name is your name all the time, so correct. there is a sense of necessity. Correct. To names, correct. Which descriptions do not have. Yeah. So the necessity, possibility, contingency. Yeah. W what What do you think cannot be named, Girish? How do you think about this in the conversation that we're in? Is there something that cannot be named? Uh, let me think. I don't think it's a, a scenario where we can start doing things without having names. I mean, uh, suppose we are in a situation where you only have to refer. to things with pronouns or pronominals mm -hmm. with only uh, indications gestures mm -hmm. they probably we can uh, do without names right so you are working in a gesture situation multimodal gesture situation there is right no right need to uh, uh, have uh, you know uh, names for anything we can certainly do with gestures mm -hmm. for example in a sign language you know uh, you can communicate the whole thing without uh, having that's to that's very interesting without yeah. having to mm -hmm. have any names is there a need for a name in sign language Well, uh, when we uh, define a sign language, uh, we have to have you know uh, that this gesture refers to uh, this. We have to have names Correct. for gestures. Correct. But when people do use the sign language, uh, I wouldn't, uh, I mean, uh, think that they would have to have any uh, uh, naming uh, uh, activity there. But right. signers themselves have names. Yeah. Right. Signers themselves would. Of course. Signers themselves have. They, yeah. they sign with a name. Correct. Correct. So names, there, there is a role for names there because each 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 community, each signer has a name for himself. Right. Right. No, the person would have his his name. Of course. But when he uses the language as such. Correct. So he's basically gesturing. He's or she's basically gesturing. So I don't think there will be a necessity for naming. Right. Anywhere there. Right. Other than that, we have to have names everywhere because without that. And how does one think of uh, this act and the process of naming in context of languages? and if one looks looks at different families of languages around the world and over the centuries does the concept of name change please 
please sure okay, i think there is a shift slight shift of topic there yeah please what uh, the question that you asked to girish yeah. girish yeah. what cannot be named what cannot be named such a such an important deep question yeah. so <laughs> if i take an extreme point of view uh-huh. maybe i'll have to say nothing can be named really because wow <laughs> because <laughs> you see uh, name is a process of discretization yes you're dividing the world into you know Parts. chunks mm. Hmm? labeling it correct that is name correct try uh, taking the whole uh, color spectrum of frequencies yeah <laughs> okay which is a continuous spectrum yeah and try giving names yeah so, and try giving names yeah okay so if you take the whole color spectrum starting from infrared up to ultraviolet beyond yeah yeah then it, uh, these names like blue green red uh c- correspond to certain ranges in this whole spectrum correct frequency okay. ranges of course frequency ranges yeah and what happens to the boundaries of those frequency ranges yeah what is between <laughs> red and yellow correct what is between green and blue correct okay so those regions cannot be named what but name would you give them does that invalidate the name red itself sure i mean but there no, is no. ambiguity around uh, the no, boundaries no that doesn't invalidate I, i would like to say that uh this is only a convenience right. and there is an enormous amount of cons- uh, enormous amount of chunk in the conceptual world which right. cannot be named right okay. yeah, right and uh, th- that of course takes to a very very vedantic philosophical position maybe <laughs> that to to understand parabrahm we have to go beyond the world of names and forms right so only when you transcend that you can have a glimpse of that absolute reality so in a way you're saying that there is no end to how much you can discretize the world yes uh, y- yes and there is a uh, but yeah in that so th- that discrete world is convenient efficient yes okay needed for communication between two persons as you say as professor vinash says between two uh, two worlds and two you know face to face interactions yeah but actually an, an enormous amount of entity like goes nameless so what is zero and one are, are they also just merely names just just two different yeah, states yeah yeah these are these are two different names of two levels right for two levels yeah. okay and between zero and one below zero <laughs> above zero there are many many things which have no names yeah. what pushpal okay. is referring to is that the naming process cannot be complete Yeah. Yes, it is something which will remain unnamed you know yeah, yeah. and uh, the quest of human sciences is to look for possible names and descriptions to those things right. which remain unnamed and undiscovered right and but you know in a very long arc of history more and more things are getting named aren't they yes i mean as the human human knowledge expands and and evolves uh, we are you know going to name things which were unnamed before mm-hmm. and that's the progress of uh, hum- human sciences certainly mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sorry, so Avinash, you're saying yeah, something. Yeah. Uh, so I would just like to add to what Professor yeah. Pushpak was saying. Yeah. So basically, we have an undifferentiated flux, which is what I started correct, with. Correct. Correct. And this undifferentiated undifferentiated flux gets divided. Are uh, you construct some landmarks in this undifferentiated flux? Correct. Correct. So the the whole movement, the larger arc which you're talking about, yes, is to go from an undifferentiated flux to a differentiated flux. But it still stays stays a flux. It stays a flux. Yes. The problem arises is that when you digitize the world, yeah, and you forget that it's a flux. <laughs> you so there is a flux. You press the pause button. Yeah. To see things more clearly. Yeah. And you get so enamored by it that you forget that the pause button is has been turned know, on. Is <laughs> turned on. So yeah, uh, and that's that's where ideological uh, underpinnings of names come in. Right. Where you want things to. stay stable you don't want the change factor to come yeah so but the the real arc is going from undifferentiated flux to differentiated flux and yeah. in that arc there will be different processes which are going on so naming is not a neutral process right. where you gain knowledge you name it you gain knowledge you name it right right for right. example the amount of uh, you know amount of strife this city has seen over naming Yes, of course, and many yeah. other cities across the world. Across the world, yes. has seen our namings. Yeah, or even at a personal level. You yeah, know? Uh, if I uh, so, what is my name? So names are a legacy. Yes, legacy. So again, there's historicity to it. There's yeah, a the lot. transhistorical uh, casual uh, causal causal link, link. causal Correct. link which comes. Correct. Correct. Now, if names are legacy, there is an ambivalence towards that legacy. Yes. Legacies yes. are never totally accepted or rejected. Correct. <laughs> okay. Correct. Now that ambivalence 
is going to cause the process of naming and unnaming but do you think in this arc that we've been speaking about it's possible to get to a state which is completely differentiated clearly not right i mean in in, in pushpak's yeah. words a discretized world where everything is named yeah but that discretized world has to be again placed in its proper context that's what i was trying to get right about right. that uh, not being named hmm. uh, what can not be named yeah so for example uh, and and the question is not what is not named the question is what cannot be named right um yeah. so uh, anything that cannot be talked about so for example so russell the, the affable, so for russell yeah. defines an entity is anything that you can talk about is an entity yeah <laughs> okay if you can't yes. talk about it it is not an entity yes and if if you can't talk about it you don't know about it yes right yes so it is yes. beyond the limits of knowledge so i yeah. don't think what cannot be named my more immediate concern is that you know uh, we name certain things in s- specific domains hmm. or in certain companies hmm. and other things and uh, the same things will not be named in other so for example you have taboo you have euphemisms yes where you name by other means yes you Because actually name you denote by not naming yes right right right, right. so or you say dot 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 yeah ellipse <laughs> yes. yes yeah you act, people actually say dot 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 that right. thing that thing actually naming uh, does uh, divide the conceptual world into yes. different categories and uh, it depends really on the culture and language and background of people yeah uh, as to how fine grain that conceptual world yes. is yeah. so a very you know popular example in artificial intelligence la- natural language processing is the concept of snow right you know, this comes again and again in eskimo language there are many know, different h- hundreds, names for snow hundreds of terms <coughs> hundreds of names for different kinds of snow yeah so in my conceptual world it, uh, those names don't exist correct okay so correct. naming is indeed indeed uh, i'd like to stress this point yes yes uh, imposing discretization on a flux as you say correct. and it is dividing the conceptual world into different portions with levels okay and where when we cannot do that naming is not possible yeah so why do we i mean changing tracks just a little bit why do we even name musical notes why why does one name musical okay. notes <laughs> okay and so music it's, it's, it's your area i would say <laughs> yeah 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 so so just like uh, you know f- frequency spectrum of colors there is sound spectrum correct and uh, you have yeah. subsonic level and supersonic level yeah and uh, and there are ranges which are uh, very pleasing yeah uh, to, uh, to the ear yeah uh, very very pleasing their comfort giving yeah. they, they have they are charged with emotion yes and those uh, ranges in that spectrum are called by names so sa is a particular range re yes. ga these are sp- particular ranges are these ranges or their points no these are ranges size really. is not really a single right. frequency yes okay so, yes. so this is this is the hindustani music system so, i so, wanted to ask so for yeah. example size a range yes so can one differentiate within that range uh, yes it does it happens yeah but yeah. how can one differentiate when one doesn't have a name for that differentiation within uh, that no, range so probably there are names so there are names okay. so uh, you have you know komal uh, ray yes then ati komal ray yes which doesn't exist in hindustani but it exists in carnatic music right and uh, between uh, and for every uh, note is composed of a of 22 shrutis shrutis right okay? and uh, there are different proportions of these these shrutis uh-huh. now each of these uh, notes are named one purpose of course is to teach yeah the other purpose which i mentioned to you possibly in iit is that yeah. until you can uh, name a sound yeah. or you c- until you can name a note yeah. and until you can produce that note when named yeah you have <laughs> not you have not reached a particular level of musical right uh, competence okay i i can right. see it from say say it from my personal experience yeah okay after only when i became i acquired some competence in this kind of skill yeah so somebody sings a note and i can immediately name it yes okay or when i'm singing and i someone can someone else is able to name that note name that note uh, or in my brain i can see that yes i am now on i'm singing sa. this note i'm yes. not in sa, now and i am now on re right. okay right. that gives a totally different uh, perf- kind of performance to musical right uh, activity really right okay? right so uh, i was possibly also saying that uh, th- there is this and it takes you out of the equation a little bit you can do it even when you're in a bad mood and it's possible for you to render a certain I'm music I'm sorry come again 
Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. it, it takes you out of the equation a little bit. The moment you denote the entire musical note a certain way, um you can keep rendering it the same way every time almost uh, no 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 uh, so my my guruji used to say this shruti sharolikar yeah. you know that uh, when you are working with a set of people if you do not know their names it is very inconvenient yeah okay hey you come here yeah hey you come here come yeah here. so <laughs> that's very inconvenient okay you do not really reach out yeah similarly when you are working with the notes to create musical phrases and musical patterns yeah. you have to be able to name them can call them to yourself yeah okay yeah and then only the performance takes a different goes to a different level yeah, yeah. if you have to talk about we have to talk about a uh, music and the renditions and the notes and the gradation of notes we have to have uh, terms for them right for, for the person who just learns the music as part of intuition and you know they're born singers born musicians they experience that gradation of shades and notes yeah. they don't essentially have names for it for example many of the folk singers there yeah uh, they don't know any of the shastra or the or the, yes. the grammar of the music but they they just know it inside yeah so uh, i was going to say that we when we talk about it yeah. we have to have terms we have to have words yeah. to indicate and and, and discretize those things yeah otherwise you know if you just have to gesture or believe or or feel it there is uh, we are beyond language we don't really have to have no actually in the beginning of the talk yeah. you said a very deep thing i would say mm-hmm. that uh, maybe an object gets created when you name it Correct. yes that's beautiful that's beautiful <laughs> otherwise without that is and how exist. how how uh, let's let's go back to the question we were trying to unravel a while ago of different languages and when you think of sanskrit and sanskrit grammar for example just to just to pick any one language or many others how is the same are the, is the same name different in different grammars in different languages what's the role of language in this entire process and act of naming in your view well each language has uh, its own uh, process of word formation I would of course say, yeah. and uh, uh, sanskrit for example is a language which uh, you know there, there was a debate you know uh, in sanskrit whether how are the words created yes you no know? and then um, so uh, some some people would say that words are created from the verbs from uh, the verbs verbs from the action okay from the actions actions and okay. then you get nouns from verbs it's, it's a very dominant uh, process of word formation in most languages yeah yeah the other groups said that the words are created from nouns they they exist you know and they exist yeah uh, so then uh, then there were grammarians who just tried to you know synthesize both the views and they say yes there are majority of words created from the verbs yeah and some also pre-exist you know uh, for example panini has a dhatu part Uh-huh. and mm-hmm. dhatus are set of verbs and then there are grammar processes uh-huh. which apply on those verbs and nouns are created the primary nouns are kridantas right from kridantas you have tadita the secondary nouns yeah but then panini also has a gana part which are the you know uh, some uh, you know pre-existing uh, you know uh, you know uh, stems which what are what does that mean what what does a pre-existing word mean Now, for example in in your society uh, uh, you have some words which cannot be rationalized okay. by etymology Okay. You can rationalize many, many, many words. Like what? So you put them aside. Like what? You know, for example, there are many words. For example, you say uh, uh, today in in Sanskrit. Suppose you have a new word from English. Uh-huh. Suppose you have a new word from English uh, into Sanskrit, coming into Sanskrit. Okay. Uh, many, you know, day-to-day mixing of English words can sure, happen in Sanskrit. Sure, sure, sure. Then the one question would for a grammarian would be how to rationalize it. So one thing would be to try to connect it to some pre-existing roots verbs of, of the sanskrit language yeah. it doesn't fit then there's okay this word cannot be rationalized so this is part of a given dictionary right stems right so all right. languages have this all languages have this right now uh, there are many languages which have uh, our say very uh, not that rich morphology so they would have a less uh, uh, stronger uh, process oriented word formation uh-huh. uh, while others would have you know more process oriented word formation like sanskrit okay So there are uh, uh, different uh, processes where uh, words and names are created actually in languages. Right. But again you have to go into the history of uh, languages, language families and uh, many languages of the same family they share some property. So if yeah. you say that Sanskrit and Hindi are part of the Indo-European family so there would be some I would say sharing uh, some common behavior of naming in these languages. Yeah. While yeah. language of the Indo-Burman or Austroasiatic might have a different a different phenomena of of forming words but i'm sure there are uh, what's called universal areas and you know, universal features of languages yeah and yeah. many of them uh, certainly share a lot of these yeah. culturally i'm sure people would be uh, behaving very very differently in, in naming things right 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 so that's very and, interesting uh, that's very interesting and how does one think of this entire concept of uh, translation when a com- when a computer program or a computer process has to translate something how does one deal with 
named entity entity recognition as one can speak about for example yeah, yeah. and how difficult or simple is that so uh, you, you mean computer based translation yes. uh, yeah. machine translation yes okay so in machine translation of course uh, names create a very very big challenge uh -huh. so one of my favorite examples is how when you translate puja ne puja ke liye phool kharida right okay <laughs> so washington correct. voted washington to power correct so correct puja bought flowers for worshiping right so one puja gets translated the other puja gets transliterated correct okay correct so this uh, distinction of uh, you know uniquely identifying names from the text is crucial for machine translation yes so what to tra what to translate and what to translate transliterate, transliterate. Yes. yes so uh, there is also this point that names are names always come associated with semantic roles okay Th these two things go together uh -huh. so what is the role of that name in that particular sentence right so ram ne sham ko kitab di Right. So there are three uh, nouns here: Ram, Sham, and Kitab. Correct. Kitab is a common noun. Ram and Sham are proper noun. But there are so different structures. Something is anaphoric. Something is cataphoric, and so also, on. Yes. Also. Right. Okay. Right. So there, of course, uh, one has to know uh, what is the role played by that uh, name in Correct. that sentence, because that that decides its suffixes, postpositions, depending on the language. Marathi will take suffixes, Hindi will take postpositions right. <laughs> to specify what is called the case role of that name in that sentence. Right. So in machine translation, name translation is an extremely critical step, I would say. And has yeah. it been resolved? Is it is it something that happens Not fully named easily entity now? No, named entity recognition is a is a very deep research ongoing, area with a lot of research, activities yeah. right. going on. Very interestingly, it was not realized for a long time that names are causing problems. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is that so? <laughs> yes. You know, yeah. lots of theories yeah. were created. But when did you all figure that out? Yeah. <laughs> Even in information retrieval, you yes. know, the names carry the bulk of uh, you know, load of the Absolutely. meaning of the sentence. Right. So you have to you know, certainly find them out first. Right. Right. do anything else. So it's very right. important to have names. You know. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, Abhinash, please. So uh, this translation thing, uh, even uh, in uh, natural language, uh, not only in computational or machine translation, you see there is a translation process going on. Yeah. So if we if we uh, treat uh, you know demonstratives this that kind as logically proper names, then uh, which which are more uh, uh, which are more uh, available in face to face or more more used in face to face conversation correct then they get translated into a more transhistoric uh, perspective where names play a role right so there is a translation from logically proper names to proper names logically proper, proper names, names to epistemically proper names yes right in a way hmm. and that translation is what is really uh, learning a language all about right Right. The process of getting that uh, you know trans perspective. So uh, we right. have a linguist Praval Das Gupta who, right. who, who talks about this kind of diglossia, where you have you know a low gaze and a high gaze. Yeah, of course, correct, correct. So a low gaze is what everyday day-to-day -day conversation. Yeah. Where you have things physically available to you. Yeah. But the high gaze will be the trans perspective, where you bring together many perspectives and come across a more general perspective. Right. Right. right, and that involves a process of translation. Right, right, and and are there names? Um, clearly, there are names which are less common and names which are more common. And how? Yes. So, I, how I does that uh, work? And how does what's the nature of that distribution? Is there? Uh, you know, some names are more uh, used. Common, uh, some. Yeah. So yes. that that's that's another point. That naming process is not really you know something which is neutral. Right. You have what is what we call as prototypes. Yeah, some are good examples of it, and some are bad examples of it. Okay. <laughs> now, who decides? And that's where this whole notion of cognitive significance. Yeah, we have talked about names, cognitive significance, and reference. Correct. So the Correct. cognitive significance and the social processes involved in cognitive significance start playing a role. Correct. But so is there some kind of a zip slot at work? In, even in even within names, and some names are just like. Why is why is so common in Maharashtra? Shubhashish is very common in Bengal. Yes. <laughs> right. So the right. So you so the, the, that is that cognitive significance which we are Correct. talking about. Correct. That cognitive significance did not necessarily relate the name to the referent. Yeah. But it also it tells us something about the frequency of occurrence. Correct. And Correct. one more thing, uh, these names, uh, uh, you know, Girish was talking about verbs, uh, getting nouns from verbs. 
Yes. And this brings us to so names are always related to definiteness across structures of languages in the world. Okay. Yeah. Yes, of course. It is really so uh, you know names are not words. They are noun phrases. Names are not words. They are not nouns. They are not they are noun phrases. Right. So we have to locate names in syntax not in morphology. Right. Right. And that is important to understand because right. they are in the domain of definiteness. Correct. So there are some languages which do not overtly show the definiteness like in English. Uh-huh. With uh-huh. a proper name, you know, uh, you will not get the definiteness marker. But there are other languages like Greek or you know other languages which where names go with definite markers. So the Plato, what 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 do you mean by the definite marker? Uh, the the something the, the x die right. So, yeah. So right. so the right. general uh, perspective would be that the definitive marker is there. Yeah. It yeah. may o- be overtly manifested or not. So names are. something to do with stability something we do with definiteness yes and that is very important to understand for example if i describe you using a verb yeah or if i describe you using a noun yeah the noun might hurt you more <laughs> <laughs> i'll give you an example so if i say it is more definitive <laughs> yeah it is more definitive it has it has a greater range of stability right right so if i call you if i say that you are drunk yes <laughs> right and i say you are a drunkard Correct, correct, <laughs> correct, correct. Okay, so the noun and the verb. Mm-hmm. I'm calling you names. Uh-huh. Is more, if I use the noun more, is going to hurt you more right. because it has to do something to do with stability. Right. And that stability is really what makes us feel at home or have a firm ground. Right. There's this in in a way there's this link between owning and knowing. Right. Yes. I mean, then, Yeah. You own so something when you so name so it almost. When right. Yeah. So uh, this is another process which I have been thinking about. Is that why are people struggling so much over naming things? Yes. Or unnaming things and renaming them. It's because the concept of property, you somehow. Yeah. So the, the there the whole idea of cognitive significance. So Correct. there is this whole that you you should name this ra- railway station as X. You should re- name rename this as Y. Yeah. Because you know, given a colonial experience. Yeah. Yeah. Certain things have been named in a particular way. Correct. <laughs> Now, we can be part of that uh, domain. We can be part of that landscape. But a name is too definitive. It's too yeah, definitive. Yeah, too definite. And so, yes. if you want to own that landscape, you have to have your own process of naming. Yeah. Yeah. And in a society which is divided, which is differentiated, this yeah. is going to create a lot of conflict. Yeah. And that's what we see: a conflict over names. Right, and that is important to understand. In fact, uh, when the notes very are interesting, yeah, when the please. notes are named, you asked why notes are named. Yes, I think uh, Avinash has put the thing very clearly that uh, when you know know the name of the note, the note becomes stable. Yes, yes. you stand so on, note yes. on that note very definitely and stably. Right, and right. the question and wh- wh- when when you can uh, name the note, you also own it. Own it. <laughs> <laughs> it becomes your note. It's the yes. process of stabilizing yes. it. Yes. Go ahead. And the question of you know the problems that name, uh, the trouble that they give you in translation or in computational linguistics. Yeah. Is phenomenal. I mean, unless we identify all the names first from the text. Yeah. The any text processing will end into a lot of problems. A lot of problems. You know. Now uh, Pushpak referred that names are uh, transliterated in machine translation. We just you know transliterate them by identifying them. Right. But when the natural language translation happens, people do translate you know uh, text of culture into other 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 language. Yeah. So and Rama would be Lord Rama and Krishna would be Lord Krishna. That completely Correct. changes the context. <laughs> you know, uh, Lord is not a god. I'm or or Correct. a hero as in India. Correct. So uh, a lot of these issues uh, do occur, and these are under st- uh, studied under divergence studies, you know, culture divergence, etc. Right. So uh, it's right. really uh, the problem is not not very simple. It's very very complex, and you know uh, the process of names, naming, and then all that is going to be studied very very. Uh, another thing which I just observed is not something which I had noticed before when uh, right. Pushpak talked about transliteration and translation. Yeah. So names mm. are you know the stability of names is such that it it also transcends cultures. So my yes. name remains the same whether you you talk to me in Hindi, Marathi, or English. Correct. So But does the name belong to a language at all? To a to a language family? To, or or is it somewhat independent of a language? Yeah, that would be an interesting because uh, names are given in in a language. Yeah. But somehow they acquire a kind of stability which goes beyond, and you can transfer it from one language to the other. Yeah. and that stability is very important because you know when language contact situations where two languages meet yeah 
usually it's the names that get transferred transferred for so, so we have this uh, hierarchy of names adjectives and uh, verbs so adjectives would go before verbs yes so uh, Why would adjectives get borrowed before verbs verbs are the core of the grammar right so right. verbs get borrowed last, last. so mm. if you show me a language context situation in which verbs have been borrowed I can assure you that adjectives and nouns have been borrowed. And it's it. almost the same sequence in language acquisition when a toddler learns how to. Yes. Uh, so uh, the co- toddler would not be able to learn a language without names. Right. Because it would not be able to place the words in certain contexts. So right. This placing of words in context is what names do, and that's why it plays a very important role in language acquisition. Right. 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 And that placement give, lures us into thinking about it as a stability. yeah my my perspective is that we have to somehow unlearn this stability not do too much of it and understand naming itself as a process yeah so yeah. name of a name so yes yeah yes so naming itself is a process it is part of that flux correct it's a movement <laughs> right because uh, for example i have uh, my name is part of a legacy which i my father gave me my i may not like my name i may want to change my name right right so what what am i doing if name is just an arbitrary thing what am i doing i am doubting that leg- legacy i am saying that i don't want that legacy yes. i want to create newer legacy or i want to identify with different legacies and that is what the uh, unnaming and the renaming process is what one so in feminist movement for example you know a lot of feminists insist on talking on certain topics correct <laughs> they say you have to name it correct they say that correct. there are so many names for uh, parts of uh, male bodies correct why aren't, don't you have the names for parts of for female bodies it's part body? of gaining the identity yes correct we correct. will we will name it girish please i mean uh, names yeah. are names are actually you know uh, very important they uh, assign some kind of a power to the language you know right like pushpa was mentioning that you know in some cultures snow has a lot more words than some other cultures for example uh, in some lot of verbs The snow, the the nouns, the nouns, snow, snow. Now in Sanskrit, the uh, and they are very important clues uh, to you know to unravel many parts of the linguistic history. For example, in in Sanskrit, cow has about forty nine words in Amarkosha. Is that yes? <laughs> and then uh, um, and then horse horse has uh, almost a word for every part of horse's body. So now if if someone says that horse was not originally belonging to India, horse didn't belong to India. It came from outside. Then how how do we have so many words? Right. The, uh, the horse, right. Uh, in, in the culture. Right. And and, and and there is another phenomena, what is called the uh, sociology and culture of names. Right. You come to uh, the modern Hindi literature or pre-modern Hindi literature. We yeah. have uh, many of these, uh, you know, uh, texts like Premchand's. Correct. We have names like Hori and Gober uh, as the names of the characters. Yes. Right. So the sociology of names. Right. Why do we have such names for human beings? Correct. <laughs> and names like dogs and kutta and billi. Correct. In villages, people name their kids as Kutta and Billy, hoping that they will not die. So there are certain Hope, mythology, yeah, there's certain mythology uh, linked to names that if you name your child in a very uh, animal names, they will survive more. Oh, so that's in some families where the kids die, they resort to this kind of you know uh, a myth, right? And, and and they use it, right? And, uh, and then right. Uh, if if a person is uh, you know uh, you know kind of uh, uneducated and uh, good for nothing uh, you have a certain you know derogatory name and then he becomes uh, uh, you know uh, employed and becomes a scholar you change his name uh, <laughs> <laughs> so and, and why are there cultures where there are nicknames and proper names and cultures which have just one name you know ours is a very hierarchical society actually in india I, i'm sure right. uh, other other countries of the world which are more hierarchical like us Right. similarly hierarchical like us would have a similar phenomena actually yeah and uh, when you read uh, indian literature and yeah. uh, interact with indian societies you find a lot of these things at play right. in the naming naming right right in a village uh, for example there are many kinds of groups yeah. so names will also be specific to for example Spec- castes correct. And, and groups also you know they are linked to that which brings us to this concept of surnames and in a way surnames yes. serve that function don't they of surnames also serve the that function they identify you uh, to a group but then uh, your first names for example uh, in a village uh, lower ca- class may not have a sanskritized name correct a higher class may have a sanskritized name correct so if you do a survey of naming in india you'll find that kind of a uh, yes. uh, thing there correct correct so all these processes are at work in india and one has to do a really uh, uh, i remember there was a seminar in jnu on the sociology of names in premchand 
Right. Yeah. They right. were discussing these things. Why Premchand would have Hori and Gober as names of those you know so-called worthless characters uh, in in his novel. That's why would he have very uh, highly you know. Uh, culture names to people who are higher up in society that's very interesting why don't we spend the last uh, few minutes thinking and um, imagining so, what the future could be what do you think the future of naming is is it likely to be very different from where we are today uh, 100 200 300 years later or are more things i'm mean, just process of discretization and stabilization is it just going to is, is it one common arc or are we likely to get into this world where um as you pointing out we transcend names and somehow just get into a world of gestures i don't know what it would be a very interesting question you know very speculative now i personally believe things wouldn't change a great deal okay in there because we have a very old civilization 6000 years of continuous history what about the world if you look at in the world uh, uh, probably there would be a um a move towards having shorter names or crisper names i would say and more uh, names which would be acceptable globally yeah. because people would move uh, very frequently to each other's country and cultures but in india i think people are uh, in the process of uh, slow change actually i would say yeah. you look at the uh, names of the rigveda in the upanishad times we still have those names oh yes so these those names are not dead anymore we still have those names the classical names right so i wonder in india things would be probably changing slowly than than other countries of the world right this is my personal belief i'm right uh, right but then to take a shot at that avinash and are there and you know this uh, there's also this fascinating concept of the in that world of abstract nouns so the emotions yes. you can name and not name there are but what do you think the future is um my thoughts go more towards you know uh, i think that we 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 will invariably enter a age of you know democratization of naming okay because uh, uh, we have talked about this uh, perspective going outside individual conversations and having yes. that overall perspective yes but due to what uh, giri said that we were a, we are a structured hierarchical societies right this overall perspective seem to belong to only a few groups right right and they did all the naming <laughs> okay <laughs> so so i think this this we are in a process of transition where we are democratizing the process of naming right. i think naming will still be required because they have uh they they help us to you know um, occupy the domain of our lives you know give us those reference points around in which we move that's very interesting but those reference points should belong to me it should belong to everybody at the same time that's very interesting so that democratization process is on and i think it will give rise to some conflicts but ultimately lead to a more consensus right what right. should be named and Oh, that's very interesting what, pushback what, what would you say and what's happening in the world of computers and so i agree with girish that names will get shorter and shorter we uh, we no finally more everyone is going to be called a zero <laughs> or a one these two states we we no more have in bengal names like bindubasini for example okay and ram subramaniam becomes ramu ramki okay. everyone ramki, is a ramki yeah yeah so shortening <laughs> is going to happen yeah. there will also be lots of uh, some kind of universal force at play Yeah. people will have globalized names yeah. okay yeah so uh, krishna might become a very global name a lot of even americans germans croatians will have that name maybe right and john right. we have john lisi these names are already coming to india correct okay that's happening but on a deeper note actually i am i'm concerned with synonymy policy and homonymy Okay. You know, natural language processing all the time deals with these problems. Yeah. So, uh, same concept represented by different names. Right. So, water, right. aqua, for example. Yeah. Okay. And uh, polysemy is uh, multiple meanings of a word. Correct. Correct. And homonymy typically happens by name borrowing. Right. The word bank means river bank as well as a financial a place. Correct. That happened because of German's influence on English. It was a word borrowing case of word borrowing. Right. So, name borrowing for both. both co- proper co- nouns and common nouns right are going to happen more and more and therefore we will have to deal more and more with homonym and polysemy problems in in computational linguistics natural language processing right so things are no easier for you mm, yes <laughs> more and more challenging <laughs> that's very interesting thank you so much thank you so much for all of you to for making it it's a great pleasure and privilege for us we look forward to having you soon again thank, thank you. you thank, thank you, you very much, much.